Welcome to Lesbians Who Write with Claire Lydon and T.B. Markinson. Conversations about writing and lesbian fiction. Join us as we draw back the curtain on the writer's life. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of Lesbians Who Write. This week's topic is Ask Us Anything. Joining me, Claire Lydon, is my co-host, who's an open book when it comes to questions, T.B. Markinson. Hello, T.B. How are you today? Open book? Does that mean I have to have answers or can I just stare blankly like I normally do? Well, it depends if your book has got words in or if it's a notebook or a journal. What do you think? I like the idea of a journal. It has so much more possibility. Mm. Why don't you tell me a story? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exhausted of writing stories. Do you know, I I remember thinking that because I don't know if you remember a time when Joanna Penn, our um, indie publishing guru, she had a thing where she was going to publish journals and like you know really pretty journals um and then it turned out that the tax laws and the VAT laws were different so she didn't do it but I remember thinking actually I never thought about it before but journals are basically money for old road like we give you a book with a story in it with actual words whereas journals are a blank book and quite often double the price of the book we give you with words in right see why journals so much (laughs) I don't know Maybe maybe that can be our question for next week. Why are journals so expensive? How am I doing this week? So let's see. Um, I recently just returned from a trip to New Jersey in New York. I was up. Uh, I spent four days this past weekend. Had a long day, a four-day weekend, which was nice. The reason I went to New Jersey was for a one-day Golden Crown Literary Society event, and then also I I drove in on Thursday night. I had Friday to do some sightseeing in New York City and then drove home on Sunday. So it was kind of a quick trip, but it was nice to get out of town. It was um, Miranda's birthday. She opted to go see the Titanic exhibit to celebrate her birthday, which I thought was odd, but hey, it's her birthday. She can go see a Titanic exhibit. I have to say the um, exhibit was very well done. And even though I know the story going in. I'm well aware how it turns out. I still get emotional. It's it's really hard. They were just so excited. And then it was just like this first thing that ever happened, the first crossing, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, obviously bad things happen. And at the end, we were sitting on a bench, and I was looking at all the names of the uh, people who did not make it. And there was this one family, I can't remember the last name now. There was like 10 names. And the youngest was five. Talk about uplifting way to spend your birthday, huh? I guess it probably was quite interesting, but yeah. I think the Titanic was one of those movies that I just thought... I think I don't like real life movies based on real life things. So I don't like biopics and I don't like things. If I don't know what happened, then I don't mind going to see them. But if I know what happened, I'm not interested. It's It's like I've seen that movie, even though I haven't. So a long time ago when the movie came out, I think it's over 20 years now, I remember going to see it and when it was brand new in the theater. And, and it was exciting because, like, they suck you in. The storytelling, they suck you in. And so when they started spotting the iceberg, I was literally like, I really hope they make it. I hope they can get around it and all survive because they all seem very nice. Well, except the bad husband. He wasn't a nice guy. Yeah, so it's hard because you know going in but then she did remind me when I was like this is depressing and she's like the last time we were in New York City you took me to the Holocaust exhibit so don't you can't say anything and I was like okay 
that's that's fair. I did take her to the Holocaust exhibit, and again, it was extremely emotional. But in other news, the conference, the GCLS conference, was really nicely done. It was really great to uh, catch up with some author friends, uh, Kimberly A. Todd, Jamie Moody, Rachel Lacey. It was the first time I met Rachel in person. She's absolutely delightful. So it's always nice. I sat on a panel about indie publishing, shocking news, and it was just a nice day to get caught up. And then afterwards, uh, a a decent size of us went out to dinner. And again, it's nice because, as you know, this can be a bit lonely of a job. So it's nice to catch up with work colleagues, even though we don't actually work in the same office building. We do a lot of the same work. And it's nice to be able to talk to people who understand what it's like to be an author. And then after being away from my computer for four days, when Monday morning uh, struck, (laughs) it was a rough, rough morning. I had gotten everything scheduled and planned for when I was gone. But uh, for some reason, I didn't do a certain task for the Monday morning routine. I didn't enter the book sale prices. And then I had a lot of emails at the last second from authors and publishing making changes. I did not enjoy yesterday morning. It was not my best Monday. Why is it when you go away and then you come back and that's when the shit's... It's, I guess it's better to hit it when you get back instead of during your trip. I always have to pay for my time off. It sucks. Uh, it does, but it's always it's always a bit tricky, isn't it? The, the uh, reintegration into normality. Yes, because I could really get used to not working. It is nice. I couldn't get used to not working when it came to like having a roof over my head and food and everything. So I have to keep working. But um, man, I think I can be lazy if I really wanted to be. I've never seen that from you in my life, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, when I say be lazy, like travel around the world, see a bunch of things. Oh, okay, I, yeah. <laughs> not like to sit and stare. I would like to do things for fun. I would just like to have fun. So how are things on your side of the pond? I was having fun yesterday. My Monday was unlike your Monday. Uh, my Monday, I had a really great night's sleep on Sunday. I had like nine or ten hours. And I got up really refreshed and um, I started my final proof of my upcoming football romance, Hotshot, which goes to the art team once I've done the final proof. I had a really, you know, like sometimes when you're doing the final proof, you're getting into the book like it's quite daunting because you've got like a lot of pages to read right and you know there's this big task and you've got to focus and it's got to be got to be very intensive focus but I had a great morning because you know what I thought wow this book is actually pretty good and so I was reading it and I was like I'm really enjoying this brilliant and so I got to two o'clock and I'd, I'd nearly cracked through half of it and I was like this is really good and then by the end of the day I was tired fractious and um, thought it was a bag of shite so it's a good learning lesson and this happens every fucking book (laughs) when sometimes I think that I am a fucking writing genius and then another time depends on your mood doesn't it when you get more tired and then I thought you know what, I'm gonna leave it now I'm gonna finish it tomorrow and then I had a terrible night's sleep last night and I haven't been able to focus this morning so I'm not that much further on so after this I've got to go back and finish the proofing and when I started it again I thought it was shit and at the moment I don't think it's that shit only semi shit so it is amazing especially the older I get at least um when I don't get enough sleep and I did not sleep well when I was away in New Jersey and then the night I got back Gray was upset that I was gone and so she was like waking me up like every hour climbing on me just to make sure I didn't sneak out again So I think that also contributed to my terrible morning yesterday because I was just really freaking tired because I hadn't slept. So, 
Yeah, I suggest, but I'm, I'm amazed you said you got nine to ten hours of sleep. How is that possible? I know. Like solid sleep? Like you were asleep asleep or just in bed? Um, I might have woke up. I think I got up to go to the loo once maybe, but I went right back to sleep. Yeah. Can you teach me how to do that? I can't <laughs> sleep. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I've, I've, I've looked into sleep quite a lot. And I think if you sleep too much, which is probably too much, nine to ten hours, that's probably why I didn't sleep last night because I was jet lagged from the night before. So don't do what I do. Seven to eight hours is the sweet spot. Yeah, so, but the upshot is that the my book hotshot is nearly going to the ARC team this week. By the time this comes out, it'll be with the ARC team, so that's good. All on a roll towards the finish line. I'm also trying to keep London Romance 9 ticking along. Um, now, if you know me, you know that I'm not very good at multitasking, when it, especially in the end stages. But what I've decided to do is take a leaf out of your book, TB, and just keep it going. So the other day, I was too busy to do too much writing like I did have four days of writing last week where I wrote over 3,000 words a day which is great uh, on London 9 but then at the weekend I wanted to keep it going so on Saturday I wrote 228 words it's just to keep your toe in the or your mind in the story that's all you have to do yesterday I wrote 32 words <laughs> but I opened the thing and I wrote those words and it keeps your mind in the story so because I was too busy and too tired yesterday and today I know it will be the same like by the time I finish proofing it will be late I'll be tired but I'm gonna do try and do at least 500 words just to keep my mind in the story so that one's going along all right actually I'm, I'm about 30,000 words in so as long as I can just keep my mind in the story uh, and just keep it ticking over I think that's the way to go because previously when I do this I just stop writing and then it's a lot more hard it's a lot harder to get back into it um, I will be taking it away with me we're going away next week that's come around very quick we're going off to Bordeaux for five days meeting some friends gonna eat some wine uh, eat, eat some wine drink some wine and eat some cheese so that'll be nice but again we're taking I'm taking five days off so but I've decided that I'm going to take my laptop with me and just write like at least 500 words a day just to keep my mind in the story because if I know if I have five days off it's all going to go to shit it's just keeping it's like they say isn't it keep the streak going I'm not very good at streaks I don't really like that concept I don't like the word I don't know what it is if you tell me to keep a streak going I will not keep a fucking streak going fuck off but just if I can stay in the story, that's what I want to do. So I'm going to take it away on a holiday. And I was even saying to my wife, no, I like to have a time off. But, and she said, but then you get really frustrated when you come back and you haven't done, just kept your mind in the story. So, you know, she said, you often wake up before me. Just get up, write 500 words. She's so wise. When, when you guys are on holiday, you mean just get up and write some words? Yeah. Yeah, I found that it, it helps to keep your brain going on that. And like, even if it's not even 500 words, like... When you said 32 words, it's still 32 words, and yeah. you still did it. And it's all about training your brain, right, to keep going. So, and like I like to say, a story is told one word at a time. So mm. it doesn't matter about the word count. It just matters you, you're still going. Keep yeah. going. Thanks. Thanks, TB. And you know what? I did have you, honestly, in my mind when I was thinking about this, because I know you always say just even if you write a couple of hundred words, you're still writing. You're still in the story. So that's, um, yeah, so really my writing and publishing world is going all right at the moment, so that's good. So I can, I think I might have said it on here, London Book Fair is upcoming April the 20th to the 22nd, I think, in uh, London's Olympia. And I am going to be on two panels now. So I'm on the Amazon um, indie publishing panel in the morning at Author Central at 11.45 on the Wednesday. And then I'm going to be at the Writers' Summit, Summit 
at 3.15 talking again about indie publishing. So um, hopefully I'll come up with different things to say, but no guarantees. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I'll try and be entertaining. So, but that's quite exciting to do London Book Fair. It's probably going to be maybe not quite the biggest crowd I've ever done. Because um, I, I was just thinking about the, the crowds I did when I first started. They used to be at Elfest. And that used to be quite a lot of people because, you know, it was a whole weekend. So people would come for a whole uh, festival. The book events always used to be on in the morning. So people would get up, have their breakfast and then come along. So we used to get a few hundred people. So I actually started off my sort of uh, public author speaking career with quite a lot of people. And lately I've tended to do, you know, smaller groups, which, you know, is nice too. I think I probably will be nervous because, you know, London Book Fair is quite a big, lots of people in that. It is a lot of people. It's kind of an intimidating atmosphere, even if you're just listening to stuff, because there's just so much excitement there. There's a lot, a lot going on around you, and it would be hard to stay focused. But does Elf still exist? Elf? Elfest. Oh, Elfest. I thought you said Elf. I'm like, what's she bringing up Elf for? Um, No, Elfest, I think it stopped. I think it was going to stop pre-COVID. I think they did one, a last one, maybe... Uh, a couple of years ago but no but you know that was brilliant because it without Elfest I wouldn't be doing this career because I went to an El, I went to El Festive they did a Christmas one and that's when I where I met Kiki Archer, Claire Ashton and Jade Winters and they told me to do publish my own books and not wait for a publisher so without Elfest I wouldn't be doing this career probably because um and without Elfest I wouldn't have have taken being able to take my work into the wider world so thanks Elfest but it'll be good doing London Book Fair. And um, and actually, do you know what? I've just had a thought. I remember my first time ever at the London Book Fair and it wasn't in 2015 when I first went um, as an author. I went, my dad used to, my dad ran a company called Leiden Labels, right? And one of his key markets was bookshops. And so my dad and my brother used to have a stall at London Book Fair every year for quite a long time. And because I was, you know, interested in writing and um, like the sound of the London Book Fair, I went. Uh, I came in with him and he, he got me in on his ticket. And then I went to a few of the panels and I must have been only about 14 or 15. And it was, it was very big and it was very daunting. And the same thing happened when I went as an author. But I, I'm not as big. It's not as big or daunting anymore. But, <laughs> but it's nice to be on a panel. It, it feels like it's full circle. Like, you know, if you'd have told 15 year old me that... 30 odd years later, I'd be on a panel. I'd have been pretty impressed with myself. You should still be pretty impressed with yourself. Oh, okay. Whatever, <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking at the London Book Fair on a panel, so well done you. And that that's fun, the fun circle though. That is that is fun that you went as a kid and now, and now you're one. Maybe there will be a kid there that you will inspire to tell oh, their own stories. That's nice, yeah. Do you know, I hadn't thought of that until this moment. Live, live revelations on uh, Lesbians Who Write. Um, and the other thing that's coming up as well is the South Coast Sapphic Hangout, which is on May the 6th in Crawley. So if you're around, come down, meet lots of sapphic fiction authors, uh, hear readings, get books signed, um, come and say hello to me. Um, bring me chocolate and coffee you know if you want um and the the other thing i did this week just gone we went to saw, saw lizzo in concert my wife and my best friend and me which was fantastic um i love lizzo uh, i didn't know quite how much i love lizzo till i saw her in concert because she's so, it was so positive there's so much positive energy in the room it was uplifting yeah I, I just absolutely loved it and and she's got some banging tunes some great music and also whatever i've seen her like 
clips of her performances or just interviews. She just is kind of she just bubbles with enthusiasm. Yeah, it just blows out of her. Yeah, and she, you know, she's overcome a lot, right? Um, to get to this stage in her career, she doesn't really fit the mold of uh, what most pop stars look like. So, or who they are. But what I got from her show as well is that she's a champion of the underdog. So uh, she's a champion for everybody. Um, she was on stage dancing with a um, gay flag. So you know, go Lizzo. I get to live through you. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to visit the Titanic exhibit through me. Yeah, great. I'm not sure this is a fair exchange. But anyway, any comments, TV? <laughs> yes, we do have some comments. And my apologies. Um, I, I think I've been slack, or I just can't remember if I've read these comments, but some comments from the website. So if I write them before, just pretend you're hearing them for the first time. Up first, we have uh, Liz Rain, who commented... Great episode on craft books. I've added Stephen King's on writing to my TBR. My favorite craft book is Show Don't Tell by Sandra Girth. Great practical advice by one of the best in the sapphic fiction biz. Short and sweet, 112 pages, but part of a bigger series of readers want more. So yes, I would, I would uh, second that. Those that series is uh, well done. Next is Neen. Uh, Neen was very excited and said, Sanctuary in all caps and three explanation points. You probably don't know what we're talking about, but that is the TV show I have been watching that is like a supernatural show that I said you probably would hate, but you should give a go. And Neen says, Claire, you have to at least give it a go for Amanda Tapping, attractive main character. She's superb. And then Neen says, Thanks for the chuckles as usual. And uh, Neen appreciates our two polar opposite perspectives and can't wait to hear about our Druid adventures. And we just remembered that um, the second Druid adventure is starting because we just celebrated the Equinox. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I know we said we were going to keep track of the Druid calendar and see how we were doing six weeks chunks and we completely failed on uh, the first one. But this week, so uh, March the 20th, we were recording this on the 21st, and that was the spring equinox. So uh, we are officially in spring, everyone. So spring, spring ahead. There you go, spring ahead. Or if you're down under, welcome to fall. Autumn. Might be nice. Uh, welcome to fall. <laughs> oh, by, by the way, I asked my wife after last time, do you call it autumn or fall? She said autumn, so it's autumn. Cracking on with uh, comments, we had a comment from Jay who said, thanks so much for the shout out TV, I'm honored. The two of you are definitely awesome. The two of you definitely also belong on the list of inspirational women for all that you do for the sapphic fiction community with IHS and our podcast. So thank you, Jay, for not only being inspirational, but for being kind and for listening. It's always nice to know people are listening. Speaking of people listening, at the GCLS event this past weekend, uh, several people told me um, they like our podcast, and it was Marie who said she loves our podcast and thinks we're a great pair and we work well together. I am the hyper one, and you're the steady, calm one. So she said it works well together. So, again, I have to say how nice it is to meet people in person at these events and to know that people are, are, are listening, even though I'm going to block that thought out now that I have to like be wise. Yeah, people seem to like it. Weird. Really weird. Yeah, it's weird to think that people are like, oh, I'm going to listen to these two experts, and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know when I grew up. When did I grow up to be an expert? Like, when did you grow up to be on the London Book Fair panel? I don't. I grew up to be an expert. It seems like a weird concept because I don't feel grown up. I was 
reading an article recently, like, about people, like, what age they they think they are and what age they actually are, and none of us think we're our, our true age. <laughs> we're still, like, those 20-year-olds who are, like, so full of life and want to, like, cannonball into a pool. Anyways, do you have any comments before I crack on to buy us a coffee? Nope, crack on. Mean's back. Uh, mean thinks us both for being an inspiration for her. And uh, Neen loves both of our books and just adores listening to the podcast. Happy Women's Month. So thank you very much, Neen, for the support. And we think you're pretty awesome as well. Should we crack on to the Ask Us Anything, which I think both of us have questions but have not prepared. So this is going to be more a freewheeling exercise. It is. But we're experts, TB, so uh, it will be fine. Do you want to go first with yours? I think you've got four questions and I've got three. All right. Up first, we have Kim, who wants to know what we think about monetizing newsletter subscriptions for authors. Well, Kim, um, I've never he- I've never heard of um, any authors monetizing their newsletter particularly. Uh, do- does she mean putting it behind a paywall? Well, there's a service that's called Substack. I don't know if it's if that's exactly what she, uh, Kim is talking about, but you can do a service where. Um, with Substack, I don't. Have you ever subscribed to a newsletter from no, Substack? No. Okay, I've I've subscribed to a few, and so you have options where you could do it at the free level, where you get like the the general content, and then um you can pay, and then you get like it depends on the um person behind the newsletter, but you can you know join like a, a private Discord channel, or you can get more in depth explanations. Like I I. Not this won't surprise you. I follow several that um, are about history and political, not political, um, just the word I'm looking, things that are going on now, current events, current <laughs> events, that's what I'm thinking of. Expert <laughs> people, expert. <laughs> so so I, I subscribe to some of those. So like, you know, if like with one of them, like if I want a more in-depth explanation about like why things might be happening and to join a, a Discord group to chat with people of like minds and everything like there are different tiers it's kind of like um patreon but a little different okay yeah that's what you reminded me of when you were saying that so i uh, like a patreon thing i think if people want to put what want to do it and are willing to put that much effort into it yeah go for it but you have to have the you have to have the amount of subscribers that you need i would say to that would um pay for it i mean for me I do my newsletter every two weeks. Um, that is the perfect sort of time for me. I wouldn't doing it every week would, would be a bit too much, but every other week is fine, and my readers are happy with that. But I don't think I would ever go down the Patreon route because once every two weeks is okay for me to do, but any more than that, it would be too much, and I want to leave time to for my life and to do writing and you know the business of publishing and all that sort of thing. So. For me, I wouldn't do it. I can see why some people may do it, but maybe in the end, then you wouldn't have time to do your writing as well. So you might have to. (laughs) All I can think is sublet. You might have to delegate doing that out to someone else. And then what's the point? Like sublet. I'm like picturing someone subletting your brain for like an hour or so. Yeah. I mean, I think when you start doing that, it becomes another job. So it depends on how many jobs you want to do. Like I know with like running the IHS newsletter, which is which is for the iHeart Sapphic newsletter, um, it's another job. It's another thing I have to get out. If you're an author, and especially if you're like maybe you're an author who does like how tos, like how to publish and how to do that, then yeah, that might be a great avenue to pursue. Because 
um, you can offer more in-depth stuff. For me, as a fiction author, it's not something I want to take on right now. Yeah, and, uh, and to be honest, I don't know any fiction authors who are doing it. So yeah, I think you'd need a very big fan base to, to start with for it to work. Next question, Becky says, are any of your characters based on real people? And if so, did they recognize themselves in your story? Yes, I include aspects of real people into my characters, but not one-dimensionally. Like, one of my characters will be based on three or four different character or people I know in my life. I like to take big bits and bobs from different personalities and kind of blend them together. So not one of the people in my books would be someone I know. I think the closest maybe would be Lizzie to me, but even then, um, I am not Lizzie, and Lizzie is not me. So I do like to say that a lot of the bad qualities of my characters usually come from me. Um, I'm the one who has the temper. I'm the one who can make snap judgment, stuff like that. But when it comes to like my characters, I don't like to, to say, oh, I have this friend who's like the perfect role model for this, and I'm going to use them for it. Because um, I, like, I like puzzles. And so for me, it's taking the bits and pieces and making a different puzzle or a different creation out of those pieces. I always think that every character I've ever written has more me in it than anybody else. It's not to say that every everything of every character is all me, but that you're the writer, so it's always going to have your voice in it. Um, and there's always going to be elements of things that you think that come out through your through your fiction. It's it, fiction is always revealing. Um, but like TB, I do take bits of people I know, or I'd say more bits of people I read about or I hear about, so people I don't know, uh, and just put them in my characters. So, for instance, uh, in my upcoming book, Hotshot, that's due out next month, um, it's about a football player, or a soccer player, and um, do you like my American accent there? It's good, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's spot on all the time. I know. I'm sure all Americans are just like, <laughs> yeah, nailed it. No. My best, one of my best friends, uh, is called Emma. Hi Emma. I don't think she listens so she won't hear this but she knows I've told her. She's got this iconic photo of her. She's got really big hair Emma and she's got this iconic photo of her where she's about four and she's got her leg up on a football and she's doing like a like a here's look at my she's in a full Liverpool football kit and she's doing like a strong strong woman pose on this football and she's so cute and just so so very gay. So on my footballer has a picture of themselves on the fridge and it is that picture. So I did say to her, when you read this book, you might recognize yourself on the fridge. So just little things like that, that I might put in. It's quite nice to do it in that instance because she's one of my best friends and that is a very endearing photo and we always we always refer back to it. So um, it's nice to put in little things like that that people actually recognize of themselves. But generally, no one no one recognizes themselves because it's not a carbon copy of somebody. Yeah, I think it would be hard to do a carbon copy of someone because um, it's, it's fiction. And if you have someone, a carbon copy of someone, then it's not, you're not creating it. So, and we need our characters to do certain things, <laughs> if that makes sense. Up next is Gail. Gail has asked, have you covered the subject of funding the editing and publishing of a first book, especially if the author is on a fixed income? Well, Gail, uh, I don't think we have actually not not for a while. Did we? Did we do like way back when? Uh, maybe I'm sure we have done. You know what you should do if you're just starting out. But um, 
And I think the answer is if you're on a fixed income, um, you try and get to know other authors and then see if you can uh, do some manuscript swapping so that you can get some um, critique of what you've already done, even though that might be very, very hard and very, very scary. But if you're, what you want to do is find somebody at the same level as you, uh, or maybe a le even a level up, that, that would be quite cool because they might know that a little bit more than you. Uh, and then they can give you some feedback on what you might need what you've done right, what you've done wrong, and where the story needs maybe some changes. Um, and you could al also get ARC, um, ARC readers, um, beta readers from Facebook groups and, and things like that. So while we would always say get an editor because you'll learn the most from, from having your books edited than you ever will from anything else, any book you read, if you are cash strapped, maybe that is the road to go down. And then maybe there are a lot of editors out there who don't charge a lot of money, who are still very good. Uh, my first editor was the cheapest editor I've ever had and she was one of the best. Do as much as you can up until that point and then do try it and save up to get an editor. I really do think that having an editor is worth its weight in gold, especially just uh, to fix any copy edits because if people start reading your book and there's a lot of errors, they're not going to carry on reading it. And I think the same with your blurb. And if you, ooh, with covers, I would really say, unless you are a really trained artist, don't do your own. There are still a lot of covers that are rubbish out there in Kindle land. So, and I really think that a cover does, people do judge a book by its cover, even though they say they don't, they do. So, if there's one thing I would say that you need to get someone else to do that's not you, it's your cover, but you can get, again, people, very talented cover people to do it for, you know, a couple of hundred dollars. So it's not, starting, doing doing something like this, it doesn't have to be that expensive. And I know you're saying that you're on a cash trap budget, but you know, a few hundred dollars, um, you should want to put that into your book to make it the best it can be. On covers, there are some pre-made sites that have some decent covers. I, I've used a pre-made cover for um, Tropical Heat. Is that this? I don't know what the name of my, my, my reader magnet is. I've totally spaced what it is. But um, I was able to get a pre-made cover for that. So sometimes you can do uh, pre-made covers as well. And I think I, it was like 40 or $50. But yeah, the advice of going into like um, author groups and doing swaps with manuscripts and having other authors give input and everything and um, having uh, beta readers and then and then before publishing if you can get arc readers as well because arc readers are fantastic at, at catching typos i actually met one of my arc readers uh, at the gcls event and she is one that catches typos for me as well and i thanked her profusely because we 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 really count on uh people to do that so there are ways around it i am a proponent of editing not just because it makes it a cleaner copy, but I have learned so much and grown so much as a writer. So it depends on also what your your writing goals are. Is this Do you just want to get that one book out there, that one book you've always wanted to write, or do you want this to be the start of something? So yeah, you have to evaluate what your goals are and try and come up with steps to make it happen. And sometimes, yes, uh, starting off on the lower end where asking authors and everything to help you is fantastic. I was fortunate um, with one of my first books. One of my blogging friends was a former copy editor. She helped me out quite a bit. Yeah, um, and I also think, um, do your research. Uh, you know, if you haven't got a lot of money, time is the currency that you've got. 
there's there's so much um, out there where you can learn stuff. So you know, self editing and um, getting your getting your book up on Kindle and uh, and other sites and all of that. There are so many things that you can learn by just watching YouTube videos. So um, if you haven't got a lot of money, use your time wisely. Okay, the next question is from Emmy Tudor and she says, I'm writing because I want to ask um, if you've talked about relaunching a backlist book that has been reworked and given a new cover. She says, I'm getting ready to relaunch my first book and suddenly I'm reworking it and fixing a lot of issues that I missed um, years ago, including editors I paid. I don't think we have covered this. I think I have certainly recovered books, but I've never gone back in and re-edited them. The itch to do it on occasion <laughs> has been strong, but I but I don't really want to go down that road because I don't know. I'm not convinced that it makes a lot of difference. I think that the cover and the blurb makes makes more difference if you're going to recover something, unless you're going to unless you're going to advertise it. So, and that's what I would say. Maybe um, having not done it, I'm not quite sure of the exact answer but I would say if you really want to go in and re-edit re then make sure you say that at the beginning so that people don't buy it again. I'd also say maybe just advertising it on sites like IHS or uh, the Lesbian Review or actually doing um, Amazon ads or Facebook ads. Uh, I know that that is a, a whole other door to step through but I would say if you go into the trouble of recovering and re-editing it probably could do with some relaunching that way. Yeah, I think the closest I've ever come to doing this was when I reworked. I was in an anthology, and I think the story I submitted was 10,000 words, and then when I got the rights back, instead of just putting that 10,000-word story out there on Kindle on my own, I ended up reworking it and turned it into a 60- or 70K uh, story. So, But I, I was very clear in on the, on the blurb and on the Amazon product page and then inside the book where I said, this was previously published as a short story, or not a short story, as a novella and stuff like that, because you want to be very clear, because readers do get kind of upset <laughs> if you when you relaunch stuff and they don't know it, they've already read it, and even if, it, if they read the pre-edited version, sometimes they don't want to buy it again. Some will, some might buy it again, but um, you got to be careful and you got to be honest up front to let them know what they're getting. So it's kind of a tricky thing, like how to relaunch something. Or even like when it comes to the backlist, like how do you get like a backlist up front and center and stuff like that. So yeah, you can do advertising, you can um, put it in sales, you can get a book bub, stuff like that. But it, it depends also how much uh, your launch coffers are, like how much money do you want to invest in doing the launch as well. So I would love if we had this not just for a book that you're relaunching, but for a book that you are just launching. I wish we had like the magic formula and said, do this, do this, do this, do this, and it's going to be fantastic. But everything is different. Things are constantly changing. And unfortunately, we do not have the magic answer or the secret sauce. Well, could you try and find it for next time, TV? Because that would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Um... <laughs> trying for 10 years. <laughs> All right. What's your next question? We have um, Ellen who is asking several questions about Kindle Unlimited, and also this was a popular question at the um, event I was just at over the weekend. So, so Ellen asks, is Kindle Kindle <laughs> is Kindle Unlimited worthwhile for sapphic fiction authors? If a reader reads a, a KU book and then buys it as an ebook or a paperback, do the authors get paid twice? And do authors get paid if a reader reads a KU book twice via KU? 
So let me take the second question first. Okay, so if a reader reads a book in KU and then buys the ebook or paperback, yes, they do get paid twice. Do authors get paid if a reader reads a KU book twice via Kindle Unlimited? So if you add the book to your Kindle Unlimited library, you read it through, and then you love it so much, and you read it again, we only get paid once, and this is because there were people who were scammers and who were stuffing books, and then um, there were also, like, weren't there, like, click farms where, like, they paid people to, like, just keep turning pages in Kindle and there's always people looking for a way to ruin it <laughs> and so Amazon had to put stuff in place to stop the cheaters so sadly if you read a Kindle Unlimited book twice the author only gets it once the paid once now for the bigger question is Kindle Unlimited worthwhile for sapphic fiction authors Claire answer I thought you were answering this one <laughs> This is the hardest one. It depends on your goals. I would say that there are a lot of readers, sapphic fiction readers in KU. So is it worth going in? The short answer is yes. But it depends on your goals as well, right? So for me, I am in KU, but I don't leave my books in there forever because I want my books to be available wide on all the other platforms like Kobo and, and Apple and Google and all that. So um, what I do is I put my books into KU for like three to six months, uh, sometimes longer, and so that everyone can read them in KU because if they're in KU, I can't sell them as an ebook anywhere else because Kindle Unlimited demands exclusivity. But then once I can take them out of KU, they're still available on Kindle as a book, but not so you can buy it as an ebook, but you can't read it in KU. Uh, and then I can put it wide. So the short answer is, if it would, if I was starting now, would I put my books into Kindle Unlimited? Yes. That, especially if you're a new author, it is a, a great way to get visibility. And I know some of the publishers are, are now starting to play with KU a bit. Uh, Ilva, I think for the past year or so, they've been putting books in uh, Kindle Unlimited as well. Bold Strokes is starting to put uh, books some of their backlist. I think it's a, a kind of clever strategy. So if an author has a new release, they put one of their other books in uh, Kindle Limited, one of their backlist books. It's a divisive topic because when you do go into Kindle Unlimited, unless you're with one of the publishers who has the rare contract with Amazon where it can go into other stores, most of us in the sapphic fiction world do not have this luxury. So it is a controversial thing to whether or not you want to be exclusive to Amazon or not. As of now, I am exclusive to Amazon because that is where I make the bulk of my money and I do survive off the, my, the money I make from writing. So if I wanted to take a matter of Kindle Unlimited, I would take a hit and I would have to readjust everything in my life to fit the amount of money I would get in. Do I wish Amazon would get rid of the exclusivity clause? Absolutely, I really do. Do I think they will? I don't know. I I don't know. Um, I wish I had that magic eight ball that told me the answers. I don't know how much longer they can keep it going, honestly, um, saying that you have to be exclusive. So far, there hasn't been that much pushback. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? But for me, I want to be wide. So most of my, uh, any one time, maybe one, two, at the most three of my books will be in Kindle Unlimited. Uh, all the rest are just available to buy on Kindle and why, but it just depends what you 
want and what your strategy is. But always remember that, yes, there are a lot of readers in KU and people are very, very used to reading on Amazon. So that's why the bulk of all your money or the bulk of money across the all sites will be from Amazon. But there are a lot of people who don't want to read on Amazon. So if you can find them, you might do well. But but the likelihood is if you want to make money more easily, KU is your friend. Okay, um, Helen asks, I work in a bookshop but rarely see lesbian romance on the shelves. Are your books available in bookshops? Well, the answer generally, Helen, is no, um, not on the shelves. Um, they are, if people want to go into bookshops and order my books at the at a till point, um, they are, you can do that with most of them because I'm available wide in print. So yes, you can go in and order them, but you won't see them on shelves because buyers put books on shelves, buyers pay for the space on shelves. Those displays you see when you walk into Waterstones or any bookshop, publishers pay to put their books on there. We can't afford to do that. So, and we don't have a buyer going in and fighting for our books to be on the shelf. So, and it's not really worth our time to do that. So we focus more on print sales in digital. So, you know, I sell a lot of books by print, but in print, but they're all mainly digital sales via Amazon or via bookshops. Uh, so yeah, you won't generally see lesbian romance on shelves. I am in Gaze the Word in London. I'm in a couple of other bookshops in Leeds, in Manchester, in Scotland, but four in the UK. That's it. It's hard. I used to work in a, a, a major chain bookstore and um, the amount of money that gets spent to get books on shelves or on those special display um, um, tables and everything is a lot. And also, if your book doesn't sell <laughs> like they expected, they start taking them off the shelves because they want to make room for the books that are selling because a uh, bookshop has limited space. Unlike on Amazon or Barnes & Noble with eBooks, it's unlimited space. You can store as many books as possible there. But in the bookshop, um, you are limited to the physical space. And I remember one of my jobs at a bookstore Oh, I forgot. We had a word for it, but um, I would, in the afternoons during the slow hours, take a cart out with a list of books, and it was it was the books that were being sent back either to the publisher. So I would take all the books off the shelves and scan them back into the system, and then send them back because, again, limited space. So, and it and like Claire said, in order to get our books into the bookshops, um, it would take so much work, and I don't think it would. The payoff would be minimal. It would be more about a kind of a, a vanity project, really, just to say you have your books in the stores, and um, you wouldn't. The amount of effort that would go into it, and the amount of money you would make from it, just it's not it's not something I have the time to invest in right now. No, no, no Sapphic fiction author has the time or the money or the inclination, <laughs> I would say, because even if you're even getting any queer books on bookshelves is a, is a fight in itself. So, um, I mean, just don't try and do that. But if you want to go into a bookshop and order my books, you can. The final question is from Rachel, and it kind of goes to back what we were talking about earlier. It is how do you deal with writer's block? When we were when you were discussing earlier that even though you were busy, you still got some words down. That is kind of how I deal with writer's block. This is my livelihood. I do not eat. I do not get clothes. I do not get heat. I do not get a roof over my head without publishing books. So my day, my way to deal with writer's block is 
to keep sitting my ass in the chair and and working. And sometimes I only will get like five to ten words out, but I'm still working on the story. I'm a firm believer that a story is told one word at a time, and sometimes that day you only get one word, but you're still getting a word, and you're still working out the problem in your head. You just kind of, I believe in writing through it. Writer's block. I don't really, I don't really think it's, I think it's like kind of like a myth, really. I think it's one of those tortured artist myths, you know. You have to be sad, you have to be drunk, you have to be smoking a lot, you have to endure writer's block. Um, if you, if you just treat your writing, you know, as a, as something that you are lucky to do, something you want to do, and just something, if you sit down every day and do it, then it's like the muse shows up when you're busy uh, and when you're there. If you're not sat down to actually do the writing, well, how can the muse show up? So if you're just waiting for the muse to sit down in the chair, it's never going to come. So just sit down in there, get that muscle working, get that sort of uh, basically routine going. I mean, creativity is 90% perspiration and 10% inspiration. <laughs> so, you know, writer's block is is one of those idyllic sort of things that where writers go off with a hand across their brow and say, oh, darling, I can't write today. I'm just not feeling it. Well, get over yourself and um, just do the writing. And, and quite often you'll find that when you just start, it's like when you go out jogging, you know, and jogging is not a very good example for me because I hate jogging. But if sometimes it's always the first five minutes of jogging that are the hardest when I'm swearing under my breath and I'm like, oh, God, I hate fucking jogging. And then quite often, we, you know, 40 minutes later, I get home and I'm still, I still hate fucking jogging, but, I, but I'm really pleased that I did it. And actually, I, I'm also impressed with myself. Writing's quite similar. If you get over the first sort of 15 minutes, then normally you can do an hour if you've got that time. And then if you've done an hour's writing, that's brilliant. And then if you carry on doing that every day or every other day or however often you, you commit to, then the muse will show up. Writer's block is a myth. Or just burnout, right? You just have to, A, obviously keep writing, but if you are really mentally burned out, um, you, you do have to take care of your mental health as well. It's hard to know sometimes the difference between the two. <laughs> There are days where I come into my office and I'm like, oh, I just do not want to do this today. But um, again, I have to. So it's it's my job. Um, yeah, just sit down and see what happens. Keep trying. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, exactly. And like I said yesterday, you know, with my proofing, I was, I was done. You know, like proofing is very intensive uh, work. So I'd done like five, six hours. I was really, my brain was fried. But I still opened my my laptop and I still got 32 words down uh, and so that's just keeping your head in the game is that writer's block no that's just because I had already worked enough that day so that's not writer's block and today I'll, I'll try and do at least an hour so yeah it, it's just it's it's a mindset thing I think just overcoming it it's definite mindset thing so that is that is the end of questions on my end. It is. So I hope you found that helpful. Um, thank you very much uh, if you sent in a question. We do appreciate them. That's it. And, le and let us know what you think about any of those questions if you want to reply. 
how do, how do you get in touch with us, you are? I hear you ask, as I'm scrambling through my brain to remember. So get in touch, comment on the website, lesbiansyouwrite.com. Email us, lesbiansyouwrite at gmail.com. Facebook us, Twitter us, at lesyouwrite, and Instagram me, at clairefic. There you go, it came out like, it came out just instantly when I got over the mental block, right, Cheap Like a pro. I know. Like a pro. And do join us next time uh, when we'll be discussing something really good but i'll just be back from bordeaux so i'll just be full of cheese and wine maybe we'll discuss cheese and wine do we get to drink wine and eat cheese we might have to record later in the day if we're doing that because um <laughs> we started today at 8 30 in my time <laughs> i'll probably still be drunk five days in bordeaux all right everybody until then take care keep writing hey everybody Thanks for listening to Lesbians Who Write. Follow us on Twitter at Les Who Write or show us some love on our website by leaving us a comment or buying us a coffee. And sign up to our newsletter while you're there to never miss another episode. Head over to lesbianswhowrite.com. Also, if you could take a moment to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, it would help more listeners to discover us. Thanks so much and see you next time.